There it is. All right, good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? We good? Good, good, awesome. Well, hey, my name is is Nick. I am one of the pastors here at the church. And as that little bumper showed, uh, we're doing, uh, today marks the day, we're starting a three-week series on community entitled, wait for it, Community. So um, it took me a while to to come up with that one. So uh, the reason why we're doing this is in August, we're taking a break from uh, our community groups uh, uh, this month, uh, leading up to the fall cycle, where once September rolls around from September to December, uh, God willing, we're going to be meeting in each other's homes on weeknights, uh, grabbing meals together, uh, reading the Bible, and and, and praying and doing community together. And so we wanted to, uh, during this break, uh, really emphasize the why, the why we do that, why we emphasize that. And so there's three reasons we do that, hence the three-week series. And those three reasons uh, of why we emphasize community groups here at the Transit are our discipleship, pastoral care, and missions. And the first one we're going to be looking at this morning is uh, uh, discipleship. And I believe that the best way for us to grow and mature as disciples of Jesus Christ, to grow in, in maturity in our walk with him in love and adoration and obedience to Jesus Christ, is by brothers and sisters coming together to remember and remind each other of our Savior's work, remind each other of the good news of the gospel. Um, And so that's why we emphasize community groups. And my sermon title this morning is Community, It's Not About You, It's About Jesus. And and the reason why uh, I emphasize that is because I think there's two tendencies in the church when we talk about the church and when we talk about community. And I think there's two tendencies, two types of people, and I'm guilty of of both of these. And I think uh, the first person who I'll call Needy Nate or Needy Nick, I'll just throw myself under the bus, and Needy Nick comes to church or he comes to community group on a Wednesday night and he essentially says this, this community exists to make much of my name and meet all my needs. And I got a lot of needs, so church, you better get to work, right? And so that's the needy Nick. That needy Nick comes and he, and he says, hey, this coffee that I didn't make, but other people have been working for two hours before church on Sunday to make, it doesn't taste that good. You know, that's kind of the, the attitude we have, or, oh, we don't really like the music, or, or I don't know what that ball guy, I don't really like what that ball guy's saying up there, you know, or whatever. And so needing it comes and saying, this, everyone here exists to serve me and meet my needs. And, and so that's over here on this end of the spectrum. And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've been guilty to that to certain degrees. And then over here, you have Lone Wolf Larry. And Lone Wolf Larry's attitude is, is essentially uh, uh, this, hey, this whole Christianity thing is just about me and God just about me and Jesus. Uh, God's family is an only child family. <laughs> I'm his only adopted son. And so it's just about me and Jesus. And, and, and the danger with both of these attitudes is there's, there's a little bit of truth involved in each. Like, like yeah, like your, your needs are important, you know? And, and so for needy Nick to come here and, and want to be fed uh, by the richness of God's word and the gospel, that's, that's an inherent desire. We, we, we were hardwired for community and, and, and fellowship, so that's good, but that's not ultimate, right? Our, our chief end, our ultimate goal, Jesus Christ has laid that out for us. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself and, wor- and let him worry about meeting your needs, right? And so, and so there's, there is some truth to that. And with Lone Wolf Larry, there is some truth there too where, where, yeah, we saw even Jesus Christ model to us this personal relationship with God when he would withdraw from community and spend time in isolation with God. But um, let, me, let me illustrate this. So uh, 
This summer, my, my, the Mudgezo family was able to take a, a beach vacation, which was awesome. Uh, my family, there's about uh, six family units, if you will. And so uh, there was about, I think out of that six, there was about five of us all married with kids, a bunch of kids. I think we decided to get like, a, it felt like a two-bedroom house um, <laughs> right on the water there. And it was, uh, it was an awesome vacation. In the Outer Banks, I mean, can't complain, right on the water. It was just great. But I didn't approach that vacation and say, hey, this Mudgezo family exists to meet my needs. This vacation and this family, my brothers and sisters, exist to serve me. So I didn't uh, expect them to carry me on bamboo sticks to the beach every morning and then come and you know, bring me my iced coffee just how I like it and, and fan me with umbrellas on the beach. And oh, hey, by the way, when I want to go play in the waves, uh, my siblings, you need to hold me on the boogie board. And when a wave comes, I want you to push me onto the way, so because I, I want to catch some sweet waves, and you exist to serve me, right? And I didn't approach that vacation the other way, where, hey, you know what? This vacation is just about me and my dad. It's just about me getting to know my dad. So I know I'm going to be with my family. I'm not going to talk to them. They're, you know, they're, they're, they can be a, a burden sometimes, right? Like, people can sometimes inconvenience us. That's why we, we, we selfishly keep our distance from them. And so what me and my, my dad are going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure he comes with me five miles north on the beach, away from everyone, and we're just going to we're going to hang out. We're going to, uh, you know, just, just me and him on the beach. And then at dinner, we're going to hang out, just me and him. And, and my dad, I can feel him already getting nervous just thinking about that, being like, hey, that's, that's weird, Nick. Don't, <laughs> that's, that's a little too much time together. So, but here's the cool thing that did happen on that trip. Here's the cool thing that did happen on that trip is um, there's one night, every, every two years we do this trip with my family, and there was one night where uh, on every vacation, my dad, he has like the spiritual gift of like one-liners and comedy. And so there's one night we're all, we're all around the, uh, that's not a spiritual gift, by the way, so don't probably say that. In case you're wondering, flip into 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and uh, we're all looking at pictures from the day. My dad walks past the screen, and me and my siblings were just looking at these, these photos, and he just says this one-liner. I mean, uh, with like a, a drop of a hat. And I'm like, I, I, how, how do you come up with something that funny that fast? And literally after he said that for the next, like what well, felt like 20 minutes, a half an hour, me and my siblings were in tears, dying laughing. I mean, it was just, I mean, I literally had snot run down my, sorry, I, I, had, I had to blow my nose. I was laughing so hard. That's how funny it was. But here's the cool part is, is, is for the sake of illustration, I know this sounds really weird, but, but me growing in adoration for my father and a characteristic about my, my, my father, his comedic ability, actually was fully manifested, and I fully experienced that by getting to share that with my siblings and, and them sharing that with me. We grew closer to God and our, or to my father in this illustration. Sorry, we're getting a little blasphemous here um, for the sake of the illustration, but grew closer, closer to him as we shared that joy with each other. And I think that is why we emphasize community groups is that the fullness of our joy in Jesus Christ is fully manifested in community as we dwell in unity and get to come together on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night and learn about our father and remember and remind each other and share the joy of, hey, this is what's going on in my week. This is how God is moving. Pray for me in this. And, and we make much of the name of Jesus Christ when his family, brothers and sisters, come together and they dwell in unity. Because that's what we are, is, is, is family, is a community, all by the work of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who has made us one. So that's why community is all about Jesus. And so we're going to be in uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And uh, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about identity, not so much necessarily the discipleship piece. We're going to say that for the end. But I think it's imperative for us to, to spend a good chunk of our time this morning 
and, and, and do what the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 is encouraging the early church to do, which is to remember their Savior's work of reconciliation. Remember why they are who they are because of who Jesus is and what he's done. So, and I can't think of a, uh, a better text to read in light of what's going on in our nation right now in light of Charlottesville and, and what now is spreading across the nation. And this text in God's providence and the Lord's timing was chosen uh, over three weeks ago to launch this series. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we dive through this. So before we dive into the word, let's, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, uh, God, that we can call you Father. And, and Jesus, we thank you that you have reconciled us, not uh, just to you, but to each other, Lord. And so we're in the presence of family this morning. Uh, this is our eternal family, Father. So I thank you for my brothers and my sisters here this morning. Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray you would soften our hearts. You would uh, uh, open up our, our, our mind and our hearts to your word. Would you speak? Would you move? Would you increase in our lives, Lord? Would we, would we uh, uh, decrease? And I pray up here that ultimately you would increase up here and I would decrease. So, Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your community. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I think there's three things that the Apostle Paul is urging the early church at Ephesus to remember. So when, when uh, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he's urging them to remember three things. One, he's calling the, the Gentiles at Ephesus to remember their past separation. Two, he's calling them to remember their Savior's work of reconciliation. And three, he's calling them now to remember their new corporate identity in Christ Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this in sections. We're not going to read it all out loud together. So point number one, remember your past separation. Verse 11, here we go. Therefore, remember, by the way, that word, that command, remember, that's the first and only command in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is six chapters, and that's the first command in the first three chapters. Remember, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So uh, a quick side note here, we need to talk about the context a little bit. If this is your first time in church, you're kind of new to uh, Christianity, and, and you might be wondering why in the world are we talking about circumcision and uncircumcision like what 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 is going on well it's actually pretty straightforward so the people of god the israelites in the old testament the old covenant age uh the sign and seal that they were god's chosen people was the sign of circumcision and covenants have symbols like if you're married here and you're wearing a wedding ring this is actually a covenant symbol saying i'm gonna be uh uh, uh my wife's husband and she's gonna be you know forever like we're gonna be together and, and so when god says i'm gonna be their god they're gonna be my people the sign of that the covenant sign was circumcision well in comes the new covenant and so that marked the people of god throughout the old covenant um, and then the new covenant rolls around, and that sign and seal is actually going to be baptism. But over both of the old covenant, and then Christ ushers in the new covenant, over both of those, what actually uh, uh, was the true sign and seal of being the people of God was not an external sign or action. It was actually an internal change of your heart. This is what Romans 2, uh, 28 through 29, the Apostle Paul says. 
For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Listen, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God, you want to know uh, uh, the sign and seal that someone knows God and, 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 and is part of the people of God. It's a change of heart. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's not an external sign. And so what happened was there was this, if you, if you study church history, there was a, a, a huge divide uh, historically between uh, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. It was one of the, the biggest racial and ethnic divisions at that time where the Jews took the privilege of being the people of God and they used it for prejudice. They used the privilege of being the people of God, and they used it for prejudice. And that's why the Apostle Paul says here, you Gentiles in the flesh were at one time called the uncircumcision. When he says the uncircumcision, what would happen was the Jews would call anyone who is not a Jew, anyone a person of God, a derogatory term, and say they're the uncircumcision. They're not like us. They're not God's chosen people. They're not holy. They're not clean. They're not like us. Therefore, what would happen is that the Jews would literally not share a meal with Gentiles. They would keep their distance from Gentiles. And the sad part is, you might say, man, that's, that's insane. I can't believe they would do that. But I think, I think in the church, if we're honest with ourselves, we take the privilege it is to be the people of God and we use it for prejudice all the time. And it's sad. It's sad. Well, all of a sudden, Christ grabs a hold of our heart. He's rescued us from ourselves and sins we're wrestling with and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, we're like, hey, you know what? I don't hang out with those people anymore. I can't, I can't talk. Do you, do you hear how those people talk? Do you hear how those people vote? I, I got to keep my distance. I'm, I'm holy, right? I'm the circumcised. They're the uncircumcised. I, I keep my distance. And see what the people of God, the Israelites, forgot. We just went through a whole series in the church uh, on, on the life of Jacob. And, it, and we looked at the Abrahamic covenant that God gave to Abraham that, that was passed down to Isaac and Jacob that literally through his body, through his offspring, a nation was going to come. Listen, that through all the nations of the world would be blessed. See, the people of Israel, the people of God forgot that, hey, this blessing, you were blessed to be a blessing to the nations. And church, that's, uh, we, don't, we don't just take the blessing and keep it to ourselves. We're blessed with the privilege of being God's people in order that we can be a blessing to a hostile, a hostile world that is without hope and without God. Um, and... Uh, this is a, a side note, but I think it, it bears repeating uh, because uh, I think there are there, in light of what's going on, is that we, I think, we need to be very careful when we talk about people and people groups. Because if we, uh, 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 as Christians, what we believe is that humanity has the manufacturing stamp of God's image, the Imago Dei, on them. So that means that humanity, this is, this is the Christian worldview. This is a Christian worldview. And if, you, if you're here today and you're uh, an atheist or a naturalist, I, I don't understand how you philosophically go from uh, 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 we're here by accident and we're just more highly evolved to intrinsic value. I think if you're uh, here and you're a naturalist and you're outcrying what's going on in, in Charlottesville and all across the nation today, I don't know what philosophical ground you have to stand on for humanity having dignity and value. Because I think what certain people are positing down there of superiority over others is actually the natural outflow of natural selection and Darwinian evolution, survival of the fittest, being more highly evolved than others, or whatever, whatever nonsense that is, right? But see, in contrast to that, the Christian worldview is this, is that humanity is made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So if we are here today and we have issue with certain groups of people, you don't have an issue with those certain groups of people, you have an issue with the manufacturer. Yeah. 
You have an issue with the creator. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, if you have, if you are a human, you have value, you have dignity in church. It's time that we start seeing people as God sees them. And so with that said, Paul here has a command, and he's commanding the Gentiles at Ephesus in the early church to remember two things, to remember uh, their vertical separation from Christ and remember their horizontal separation and alienation from one another. Jews and Gentiles just didn't get along, right? They were opposed to each other. Uh, There's this this ethnic divide, racial division there, and, and Paul is saying, that the result of that separation, the Gentiles being separated from that, was um, they were without God. This is verse 12. Without God and without hope in the world. And that, my friends, is a tragedy, being without God and without hope. And, and here's why. It's because uh, uh, we believe uh, 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 that you and I were hardwired, you and I being made in the image of God, a God who, by the way, is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of, all of eternity, dwelling in relationship with each other. So therefore, when we are made in that image, what it means is you and I are, are created with this intrinsic desire and need for relationship, for community, for nearness, for belonging, both vertically with God, but also horizontally with others. And when you don't have that, when you're in isolation from God, you're without hope. There is no hope for your future. There is no hope beyond the grave. And there is no hope in the present because now you're isolated from uh, the body of believers, from the people of God. And I think one of the most dangerous places, hands down, in the world to be is isolation from God and isolation from others. Um, uh, I recently had, uh, well, I guess a while ago, I've done youth ministry for a while, and I had a, a friend uh, of, of mine talk about just wrestling with uh, depression, and uh, I've had my own kind of uh, dealings with that as well personally, and I know it's super complex. And what I, what I told my friend was this, hey, you have to promise me this, man. You have to promise me this in the midst of this depression. And I know, man, this thing can grab a hold of you. In the midst of this, you have to be committed to fight against isolation. You have to be committed to fight against isolation and find community and 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 live in the blessing that is knowing God's church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul here, as a side note, but Paul here is is encouraging the early church, the Gentiles, saying, remember that at one time, this was your identity. Remember that at one time, this used to be you. You used to be without hope. You used to be without God. And it's kind of like, Paul, that's kind of messed up, man. Like, why would you want us to remember that? I thought you said, you know, in other areas in your epistles, like, hey, forget what's behind and look forward to what's ahead. But this is what Paul is getting. I think the reason why he's calling us to remember what once was is because once we do, what now is, is all the more brighter and clearer, right? And so, Christian, man, we are so quick to forget God's goodness and grace towards us in Christ Jesus because we've forgotten once that we were without hope. We've, we've so quickly forgotten what it's like to live in darkness, to be blind, to, to, uh, to be without God, without communion and union with Christ. And Paul's reminding them of, uh, of that, saying, don't be so quick to forget that. Remember that you were once without hope and once without God, because contrast is the mother of clarity, and that's where Paul is leading us next. Um, where here's the deal, if hostility and separation vertically and horizontally was the problem, well, then the solution has to be peace 
and proximity. If the, if the conflict and the problem that Paul was saying, hey, you Gentiles were separated from the people of God, the Israelites, and you were separated from, from uh, God vertically and horizontally, well, then the solution then is someone has to usher in peace between these two hostile parties. Someone has to usher in peace between this division, and they also have to bring in proximity. If you are separated and alienated, well, then someone needs to bring you close in peace. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul says, and he calls the early church here in verses 13 through 18 to remember your Savior's work of reconciliation. And Paul just goes on an awesome reconciliation rant here. He just goes on a kind of a rant about this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. And uh, so please, please uh, read this with me and, and, and just think about, think about who the agent is of this reconciliation. But now, I love that transition. You were once separated, but here comes this transition. But now, today, present status, your present identity, that was your past, that was your former identity. But now, Gentiles, Christians, early church at Ephesus, don't forget. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We could camp out for months on this, on this section here and just unpack how awesome our Savior is and what he's accomplished for us. But for the sake of time, there's two things here that Jesus, Jesus did. Vertically, he has brought peace and proximity between a holy and a just God and a sinful humanity. Peace, and not just peace, but nearness. Belonging. Acceptance. And I love this. Verse 13. This is, this is what Christ did for us. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have again been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby the hostility is killed, killed the hostility. And verse 18, for through him, now we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Christian, if you're here today, you have full access to God. You belong. You have peace with God. You're near to him. Like, like a father with, with their child right at their knee, just the child hugging their ear. That's how close you are to God. That's the peace that Christ has brought us. And listen, I think where we go wrong is we think that this peace is up to us. We think that this nearness is up to us. And so we interpret verse 13, 16, and 18 like this. But now, verse 13, but now in my good works, I was once far off, but now I've been brought near by my blood, by my sacrifice. By, 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 by my good works and me, and me coming near to God. Verse, four, uh, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through my cross. Verse 18, for through me I have access to God. No, my friends, that's not the truth at all. Uh, look, at these, look at these prepositions here. By the blood of Christ, through the cross, for through him. That is good news. That is good news. It's not up to us. It's up to what our Savior has done. And, 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 and what you think about God is, is one of the most, A.W. Tozer said once, what you think about God is one of the most important things about you. 
because a lot of us don't believe the gospel. That's why we need the church to remind us of the gospel, that it's by the blood of Christ we're cleansed, by the blood of Christ we're healed. And I had this moment, being a dad is awesome. I, I, I love it. It's been a blessing. Uh, obviously, I probably wasn't saying that a couple days ago when Kelsey was waking up at 5 a.m. and all that stuff. But, uh, but I had this moment a while back where, um, I don't know if, if, if you guys, I'm, anyways, if you're like me, there's, there's certain moments in your life where you just kind of have, like the Holy Spirit gives you a heads up and you're like, hey, God's about to speak. I don't know if you've ever had that moment, but for me, uh, I had this moment where I was like, oh man, the Lord's about to speak, something's about to go down. Okay, cool. And uh, you know, you get excited and, and, and your tent is up and you're, you're listening. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm holding my baby, I'm singing her to sleep, which is like one of the, I mean, goodness gracious, melted my heart. So I'm singing her to sleep and uh, I just really felt the Lord was like, Nick, you know, you know the adoration and affection you feel for your daughter right now in this moment? This is how I feel about you. That, that full-blown fatherly love, that affection, this is how I feel about you. And I needed to hear that because I don't believe that at all, right? We have a tendency not to believe that, that our Father, that Christ has brought peace with us, that we are his adopted into God's family. He loves us like a father loves his kids. It's straight gospel. That's the truth. And that's what Christ has done. His work, that's why community is all about him. And what's interesting here is that, you know, Jesus Christ didn't just stop at vertical reconciliation, See, I think a lot of times, uh, and I've been guilty of this, is, is that what, that's what we preach. Is Christ came in and, and he reconciled man to God, but Christ came and he also uh, wanted peace with man and man. He reconciled Jew and Gentile. He has made the two one. Uh, and that's what Christ also brought was peace and proximity between two hostile parties. And what we see in that is that God's desire is peace, not just vertically, but God's desire is peace and unity uh, amongst humanity and primarily in, in, in his church. That there can't be any barriers, there can't be any uh, uh, divisions in our church because we're one in Christ. And so this is what uh, verse, I'm going to go through some of these verses here. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, listen to what Christ has done horizontally, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Gentiles who weren't part of the, 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 the people of Israel, the people of God, have been brought near now. Peace and proximity. Verse 14, he himself is our peace and who has made us both one. So Christ made Jew and Gentile a, a new humanity. So, so listen, Christ's work of reconciliation was a destructive act as it was a constructive act. So if you've driven through the town of Vienna recently, you realize that they're buying like $500,000 homes, which is a ton of money, and they're destroying them. They're tearing them down. And you're just like, well, what is this a perfectly good house? Why are you doing that? But in its place is this like $2 million like dream house with like a wraparound porch and all this stuff. And if this pastoral ministry thing really kicks off, I mean, I'm going to move into one of those <laughs> one day. Um, but, uh, but see, Christ's work was he, he had to tear down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile so that in its place he could build his church where it doesn't matter uh, what tribe, tongue, uh, a nation you're from, that he's going to make you one in him his family, his house, where his glory, his spirit's going to dwell and be glorified amongst his people, dwelling in unity together. That's what Christ brought about. Verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. So if I had a dollar for every time uh, the Apostle Paul said uh, uh, one and peace in this, I'd probably have like at least 10 bucks. Um, I mean, he, he, says it, he says it a lot, okay? And so for Scripture to be encouraging us and pointing us to Jesus who preached peace and unity, my friends, would we be preaching the same message? 
Because in the church, man, like what I've seen on Facebook this past week, and I've seen Christians actually attacking one another on social media. I'm like, this is, this is not what Christ prayed in John 17, that, that my disciples would dwell in unity. They would, they would be one as my Father uh, and I are one. Christ came and preached peace. Christ came and preached unity. And he is most glorified in us when I, when I think when we as a church dwell in unity amongst our differences. Uh, and so... Uh, this is what Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Listen, this is such a good verse. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our primary identity is Jesus Christ, that I am in Jesus Christ. I am in the household of Jesus Christ. That's our identity. There is no division. Yes, I might be bald and, and Russian or, or whatever, but my identity is I'm your brother in Christ. That's my identity. And how dare we put up... See, look, if Christ tore down and destroyed these barriers that were dividing the Jews and Gentiles in the early church, why are we putting in the church, why are we putting more barriers back in place? Why are we putting barriers back in place to us dwelling in unity? That, that's just not in the Bible. And, and we get so, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Um, so this is, this is what I'm going to say, and we're going to continue here. But uh, you want to know, the, you know the, the solution to the division and the hostility that we see in the nation right now? You want to know the solution? We're looking at the solution. This is the solution. This is God's instrument to bring peace between those divided, the church. It's you and I, it's community, it's brothers and sisters in Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation dwelling in unity in the midst of our differences and, and political leanings and all that stuff. We come together one in Jesus Christ, and when we dwell in unity, the, the world should be able to look in and say, man, I want that. Because the world is hungry for it, man, because there isn't, isn't a place on the earth, man, where we don't, we're not really seeing that anymore, right? And that's why we emphasize community groups. People from all different spectrums coming together, sharing meals together. And we want our neighbors to be asking, Wait, why, why would you be hanging out with those people? Those people are older than you or, or different than you or you know, whatever, but it's Christ who makes us one. And that's the solution. That's God's solution for reconciling the world back to himself, uniting all things in himself, Ephesians 1, Jesus Christ, uh, desiring for shalom both vertically and horizontally. And that's why we emphasize community groups because that's God's plan. And if we're not the hope for the division that we see in this nation right now, then, then what is? Then what is? So brothers and sisters, will we be committed to that? Will we be committed to dwelling in unity here uh, at the transit with our fellow believers and, and maybe not uh, uh, let petty differences or disagreements get in the way of what's ultimate, and that's Jesus Christ, and, and making him known amongst people who are without God and without hope in the world? That's our mission. Uh, okay. Point three, remember your new corporate identity. Again, we're talking a lot about identity here because it's imperative for us to know who we are before we just go and start doing stuff. So remember your new corporate identity. This is uh, Ephesians 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You belong with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So 
what Paul is saying here is, is your new identity. You were, you were once strangers. You were once alienated from Christ. You were once alienated from each other. You didn't have the blessing, the privilege of being, of being amongst the people of God. Uh, and you were once divided, both Jew and Gentile. But now, thanks to Jesus Christ, you all are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And that members of the household of God is, is what he's saying there is you're God's family. And also he's saying that you also are a, a literal house that the church is God's temple, that he, is being, that he is building brick by brick, tile by tile, paneling by paneling, whatever, that he is building for his glory to dwell, that God's glory, glory dwells in the midst of us. The same spirit that's in me that's regenerating my heart is dwelling in your heart as well. And what I want to hone in on here is that uh, uh, the corporate identity, that what Paul is getting at here is that, listen, for Jew and Gentile, it's no longer that it's just necessarily that. It's I am in Christ but it's that we are in Christ, that God's family isn't an only child family, that we've been adopted into um, something much greater than that. And so we are members of God's household, God's family, where his spirit of peace, love, and unity dwells. And so that begs the question, well, if we're part of God's family, well, what does family do, right? What does family do? We hang out. We got each other's backs. We don't tear each other apart. We look out for each other. We serve one another. We love one another. We spend time together in community. That's why we emphasize community groups because that's what we are is community. We're family. That's what family does. And uh, the Mudgezo family, sorry, I'm talking a lot about myself, but uh, for the sake of illustration, anyways. So the Mudgezo family, like, what's cool is uh, we've just been really blessed. Everyone is super close. Uh, like, literally, like, my sister lives in the same neighborhood we grew up in. My parents still live there, and I'm, like, three miles away from my family. And, and we're, like, mudrizos are close. Like, don't cross a mudrizo because it's not good. Like, it's hard for us to, like, whatever, because we're just tight-knit family. Like, we hang out. We love to go on vacations together. We're, we're, uh, we're like, meeting, like, twice a month for, like, Father's Day birthdays. You know, they're just finding excuses to hang out with each other. It's kind of hurting the wallet. So we've talked about, hey, maybe we're not buying gifts for each other anymore. Anyways, I digress. But, uh, but here's the deal. So uh, back in high school... I don't exactly know what the specific thing was, but I remember this very specifically because I think this was a defining moment for me. My brother and I, we fought constantly growing up, uh, my younger brother, and I, now he's much bigger than me, so we don't fight as much. But um, uh, my dad came home from, from work, and my brother and I were just, I think physically and verbally, just ripping into each other. My dad had a tough job. He was a DC cop for 30 years, and um, I remember my dad coming in and saying something to this effect. Obviously, I, don't, I was in high school. I don't remember, but I do remember the gist of it, and it was this. It was, it was hey, Hey, sons, I need you to know this, that the world out there is going to try to tear you apart. The world out there isn't kind, isn't nice. If your last name is Mudrazo and you're part of this household, that means that we got each other's backs, that this place is going to be a safe haven. Where I'm going to come home from work and you're going to come home from school, although you were homeschooled, so you didn't really come home from school, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> hence the fighting. Um, but you're going... You're going to look out for each other because we don't, we link arms and we, when we go outwards, we don't, we don't, we don't link arms and, and attack each other. We, we go out and, and we, we, we uh, go to war against the gates of hell as the church and link arms. And so if you're, if you're a Christian and your identity is in Christ, and that means for those other Christians who are in Christ, it means we got each other's backs. We look out for each other. This has got to be a safe haven where we know that no matter what race we are, no matter what background, no matter what job we have, or, or whatever's going on, that we can feel welcome, we can feel valued, we can feel loved, because we're all uh, uh, made in the image of God. That this has to be the place, because this is 
uh, the solution. This is Christ's solution for that. So this is what Clyde Snodgrass says. Uh, sweet name, but anyways, listen, this is what he says. He says, this text says we belong. Christ brought us home to God. I love that. We live in God's house as members of his family, and at the same time, we are a house in which God lives. We belong with God and are involved in what he's doing. The other people in the house are family with us, and this home defines us. Christ has given us a place in his world, and from that sense of belonging comes a growing ability to relate and accomplish the task to which we are called. This text asks that we remember where home is. We are at home with God. This text Ask that we remember where home is. We are at home with God, and I would add, and we are at home with God's people as well. We're at home with God, and we are at home with God's people. This is family. We are family. And so you might be saying, all right, this is awesome, Nick. Uh, what in the world does this have to do with community groups at the transit? When, when I start going to community groups, uh, by the way, September 1st rolls around, and uh, if, if, if you've been coming to the church for a while and aren't, necessarily plugged in, haven't really gotten to know that many people here. Man, would you join? Would you join a community group? We have plenty of them. Please come and talk to me, talk to Jeff, talk to other people about how to get involved. It's super easy. We'd love to get you involved because um, that's where, man, that's where uh, the great work of discipleship and caring for one another is going to take place. But you might be saying, what does Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 have to do with community groups at the transit? Uh, one word, everything. Everything. We dwell in community because that's what we are community. We, we, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is what Brad House says, and I will conclude uh, after unpacking this quote. Uh, community groups are people who understand their identity in Christ and have a corporate or communal understanding of that identity. So we first want to talk about what is our identity as a people group, right, before we start talking about you know what we're going to do. So community groups are people who understand their identity in Christ and have a corporate, uh, a communal understanding of that identity. This means that we are committed to one another and to our collective growth in Christ. Then out of that identity, we worship. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Through Jesus, we have been reconciled to God and to one another. And once we were not a people, but now we are God's people through the mercy of the cross. Therefore, we ought to be a people who point to and worship Jesus consistently. And uh, the reason we emphasize community groups is because we're all about discipleship uh, here at the church, making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. And we believe we do that uh, by being committed to our collective growth as a church. And so I'm going to just hone in on that one piece of this quote that I think is just phenomenal. He says, because of our identity, this means that we are committed to one another. And this means that we are committed to our collective growth in Christ. We're committed to our collective growth in Christ. And see, sadly, I think uh, uh, what what this Northern Virginia culture can so easily do, and just the culture of of this world can so easily do, is is, is get us, and I'm preaching to myself right now, is get us to be consumed with what is ultimately trivial and completely apathetic about what is of ultimate importance. And so I think for a lot of us here, uh, we wrestle with those with, with that, that we are consumed with what is trivial and irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, and we are absolutely apathetic about of that which is of ultimate importance. And so, like, like you know, if we're, if we're more excited about uh, uh, that new series coming out on Netflix, maybe say Stranger Things 2 coming out October 27th, going to be awesome. Um, uh, if we're more excited about that 
Netflix series coming out, then we are about our neighbors coming to know the joy of knowing Christ. There's a problem there. Because what happens now is we're consumed with what is trivial, and we've lost sight of what is ultimate. Uh, if we're consumed with you know, our external physical appearance, appearance, which is good, I'm all about you know, lifting and working out, but for a lot of us what we do is we find community, we go to a gym, we surround ourselves with, with brothers in the gym, who you know, some, some meatheads who are going to get us buff and looking sharp and all that stuff and reading up on all these things. We're committed to our external growth. Will we be committed to our collective growth spiritually as well? Because it's almost like, you know, I got, I got a Mazda protege I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to sell, and by the way, it's got 230,000 miles on it, and it's slowly, like, rotting away. So I'm not going to, like, put new rims on that bad boy. I'm not going to, like, you know, like, deck it out and, and take really good care of it because it's, it's slowly decaying. Like, that's not going to be my, my focus is that. Mazda, and I, and I got news for you, like, you know, for us who, who, and I'm preaching to myself, for us who are consumed with like working out and exercise and physical, uh, you know, whatever, uh, uh, it's like we've got to remember that our bodies are, are slowly dying. Like, that, like this is temporal. It's not eternal. This, this isn't uh, of eternal importance. We need to be good stewards of what God has given us and good stewards. Our body is the temple of the Lord, but there's a difference between being uh, uh, consumed with what is trivial and the ultimate. And the last thing I'll say too is, is that I think financially, uh, uh, there's this, this hard balance between being good stewards of the money that God has given you, but absolutely being consumed with what is trivial. And, and I've been wrapped up in that easily, more concerned with investing in my own kingdom instead of investing in God's kingdom for the advancement of his gospel. Um, and, and I think this area is really good at that, where we, all right, hey, well, you know, surround ourselves with good investors and, and all this stuff, because financially, that's my end goal in life, is my comfort and my security, and make sure that I'm financially stable, versus, hey, we, we've quickly forgotten that we're a people with a mission. What is of ultimate importance is us dwelling in unity, linking arms, and going to battle against the gates of hell. That's what the church has been called to do. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a sermon from two weeks from now, but this is what I will conclude with is, is friends, is that in the church, we're at, we're at war. And I think we have, uh, the danger that we have is that we, is that we don't believe that we're at war with the, the gates of hell, that we have a mission of reconciliation that's been entrusted to us by Jesus Christ, who has reconciled us to God and has reconciled us to each other here. And now we have the great privilege of being the people of God. We have the great blessing. And, and when we live our lives to be a blessing, and, and when we realize that we are at war, what that does is intrinsically creates a desire for us to be committed to the collective growth of those around us. Because you soldiers here know that you are only as strong as your weakest member in the trenches. That before you get to battle and you're preparing and running those drills and all that stuff, and you see your fellow soldiers slacking and, and maybe not being up to speed, or you say, hey, buddy, let's, hey, let's go. Let's, let's go one more time. Let's run some laps. I'm with you. I'm going to bear this burden with you because we need you on this mission. Hey, if your shot's a little off, hey, let's go spend time in the range because we need you, bro. We need you. And so as the church, when we adopt that mindset that, hey, we have an awesome, awesome calling, awesome calling to go to war against darkness, go to war against the gates of hell, and bring this message of hope to the hopeless, to bring God to people who don't know him yet. We have that great mission. And will we be committed to that cause and be committed to the collective growth of each other for that great end of making Christ known amongst the nations. And that's why we emphasize community groups because that's what we do in community groups is come together and remember and remind each other of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and, and, and what he's called us to do, the great mission he's called us to do. So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we thank you so much 
Jesus, uh, that you came uh, and you brought peace uh, between us and you and us and each other, Lord. You've made us one. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for that. Forgive us, Lord, for taking that for granted, that great privilege of knowing you, of having full access to you, of belonging and being near and having peace with you. Uh, Forgive us for taking that for granted, Lord. And would we, Lord, as the church, be fired up this morning and be committed to making you known amongst each other and amongst the nations. Lord, we be committed, uh, 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 Lord, to, to your great ministry of reconciliation that you've entrusted us with, Father. So please, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you empower us to do that? Would you help us to see each other, not as, as necessarily church members, but would you help us to see each other as family, Father? For your name's sake, we pray this, Lord. Uh, amen.